baby's so cultured already. <laughs> baby's cultured <laughs> enough to smoke a cigar. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Today, we want to give a couple updates about our pregnancies and go over some car-related car seat topics. So right now, Moe is at 21 weeks and three days, and nothing new really to report other than her stomach's getting a little bit bigger and the baby is moving a whole lot more. Pretty much anytime she lays down, that that baby is, is moving around waiting to get out. Yeah, we're the same way. I think we talked about this maybe a little last week, but it's the idea that when the mother's in motion, the baby's rocking around a little bit and chilled out. Yeah. And then when the mother settles down, the baby's like, whoa, 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 where's the action? And the baby starts to kick a little bit. And uh, yeah, we've definitely been going through that as well. I think we're at 28 weeks right now. Nice. I believe that's the count. Yeah. We just had an appointment. Um, I say we, I mean my wife. Right. Uh, still, coronavirus measures prevent the likes of Mark and me from going to such appointments. So um, I've, I haven't been to any of them. At least I haven't been allowed into the office. I've sat in the hallway before, but... Um, yeah, me too. Yeah. Uh, my wife had an appointment yesterday, and things are basically fine. It's more of the no news is good news kind of a thing. That's good. Um, I should report that um, I learned something, I guess, from this last one, and that's that uh, they scheduled a C-section, but not one that we may that we may need to do it's just in the oh. event that we need to do a c-section they said that um their schedule is a little bit tight so they're going to go ahead and schedule one for us what would happen if you needed a c-section and you didn't have the appointment would they just say Ooh. no good question <laughs> i mean i feel like that's kind you. of an emergency situation anyway so <laughs> yeah i think um well you know this is a little trivia that i heard years ago and i assume it's true but um the trivia question was what day is the least held birthday in the United States? Like there's one day a year. It's got to be a leap year. Oh, okay. Let's say aside from the leap year. Oh, okay. <laughs> of the regular, of the standard deck of 365 days. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, there's one day of the year that has the fewest birthdays, like markedly the fewest birthdays. I, would, I have no idea. The answer is Christmas Day. And the reason it's Christmas oh. Day is because nobody would schedule a C-section for Christmas Day. And, you know, doctors would like off, the mothers would rather be with their family, maybe do the C-section a week earlier, a week after or something, but not on Christmas Day. So that has the fewest birthdays in the U.S. And this sense. is according to the random, like, Snapple cap that I read that under. However, I heard this information, I can't remember. But, I hope um, they put that in Snapple caps now. Do they still sell be. Snapple? <laughs> I don't know if Snapple caps are still a thing. All my references to anything in the United States are 15 years old at this point. So Snapple Perfect. could be of the past. That Snapple lady from the commercials might have died seven years ago. Nobody knows. Nobody can. Keep It'll go with well stuff. with my Tamagotchi reference from the previous episode. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Snapple and Tamagotchi sponsorships are still available on the J-Pops if uh, Snapple <laughs> and Tamagotchi do still indeed exist. But yeah. Um, yeah, so there's a little bit of a, a concern, you know, like the baby has to flip into position at some point. The baby has right. to go head down um, to to avoid the breech birth. 
and uh, our baby has yet to flip, and it still has time to flip. There's still like more than enough time, and the baby could could still turn over. But they're saying like, oh, in case the baby doesn't flip and it would be a breech birth, we need to get a C-section done. We'll go ahead and give you a C-section appointment. And um, oh, okay. the kind of interesting thing I learned about this, you know, our due date is February 25th, right? Okay. So I thought like, oh, if we're scheduling a C-section date and I got greedy and I was thinking, I hope it's February 22nd because oh. then you get the 2 2, two 22 birthday. And how could you not want to schedule your C-section on that day? Uh, it would be then, easy to remember. Yeah, it's just like, you know, it comes once every 11 years. It's like such a prime date. But then uh, my wife quickly uh, corrected me and set me straight and said that, um, well, you, they wouldn't schedule a C-section three days before the due dates because the baby could just come, you know, naturally, like, say, four days before the due date and then your C-section like uh, appointment is all for naught and you've got oh. suddenly the kind of emergency situation that you're talking about. Gotcha. So you're not going to like leave a breech birth right up until the last day, you know, for the C-section. Mm -hmm. So when they schedule a C-section to avoid some type of problem, they tend to do it like three weeks beforehand. So our mm -hmm. C-section date is something on the order of three weeks before the actual due date. And that's uh, all under the, the assumption that if the baby doesn't turn before that, they'll just go ahead and do it. Yeah. And if the baby turns, it's like, okay, C-section no longer necessary. They might keep the appointment on the books for a bit in case something else goes awry. I don't know. But um, yeah. so we are locked in for a possible C-section that may or may not happen. So that was kind of the the new development at this appointment. But in general, it's like, if that's your worst problem, then that's pretty good. Yeah. So, we're feeling pretty fine about it. Nice. Uh, you have an update from Casey about last week's podcast, I hear. Yes, yes. Casey was our guest last week. If you haven't listened, go back and listen, of course. Um, Casey said that he thought of one more bit of advice that he didn't get to last time. We were asking about um, how you sort of maintain your personal time. Mm. And, uh, you know, you've got the kid who's obviously going to take up a lot of your uh, a lot of your free time or what used to be your free time is now dedicated to the kid. And Casey said, uh, one thing I forgot to say when you asked about finding time to do stuff or personal time was that it's important for the parents to allow each other to take time to do things alone, like taking care of the kid so the spouse can get out of Dodge for a few hours or whatever. So um, that was Casey's follow-up comment is, uh, you know, be sure to take over the parenting duties for hours at a time and then give your spouse a break. Nice. Um, I've also heard Casey say in the past, Casey has two sons and he said, it's, uh, it's a lot different when it's sort of a one-on-one -on -one because then, you know, if it's one parent and one child while the other parent can sort of get out of the house, that's a lot easier. But when you have the second kid, it's one parent against two and then it gets <laughs> markedly more difficult. Uh, and then it's harder to like give that free time. So this is maybe a, uh, let's call it a one child policy. No, that's gotcha. not the right phrase at all. Uh, yeah. So I think that's probably best when you've got the one, but manageable with two, just harder. Yeah. I've given, I've given that some thought and, uh, we've, we've talked about it a bit already. I think I'm, I'm very good with setting aside time for myself to kind of decompress and de-stress and kind of do my own thing. But Moe is pretty bad at it in general. So I think we're going to have to schedule some of that stuff ourselves. Mm, yeah, sounds good. It's probably something 
that's good to be proactive about like um maybe yeah. a bit similar to in a japanese company everyone has vacation time and then they just don't take the vacation time right and um you know in america it's more of a priority like oh i've got this many vacation days i'm putting those on the schedule from day one i'm figuring that stuff out but in Japan, i actually i like to bank my vacation days oh yeah roll yeah, them over if- huh I feel like it's a little bit of a, a safety net. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just because I live like 6,000 miles away from my company. And if they pull the plug mm-hmm. on me, I'm kind of yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm kind of left out here. So I like to have that little little bank. So I don't take a lot of, of vacation days, but yeah. I get all the American holidays, which are pretty great. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah, whatever works. I, um, yeah, I, I'm just thinking and Japanese business culture. It's kind of like the childcare leave. Um, I've read that Japan has the most generous parental leave system in the world. And then I read, I think you read as well, that it's like 7% of fathers uh, make use of the parental leave. Yeah. 7%. Yeah, it's it's just immensely low. Yeah. So anyway, I fully encourage everyone to take advantage of these systems and their time off. And uh, yeah, be proactive in scheduling it just like, you know, proactive in scheduling a few hours out of the house once the yep. kids get here. We'll see how how realistic that is, but I'm optimistic at this point. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Everything we got is just speculation, so yeah. we will we'll see how it plays out. I also I want to do another update. Yes. And this is the Amazon registry update. Uh, we talked about it now, I don't know, like four out of our five episodes or something. We've talked about this Amazon registry. Plugging uh, Amazon a lot. Yeah, we're all over this as if they Come need on, it. Sponsorship, Bezos. Um, it's uh, it actually worked. I successfully received two things so far nice. from our Amazon registry, and they were both purchased by someone in America, and I received them in Japan, and it all worked out. So just to recap, you have to make your registry on if you're in Japan, like we are, make your registry on Amazon.co.jp. That will handle a registry. Then when you send that link to someone in the U.S., that person will have to make a .co.jp account. And from that account, they can very easily shop uh, on your .co.jp registry. Uh, Most of your American friends and family will just have the regular .com Amazon accounts, but they are sort of non-overlapping accounts. And so you'll have to create both of them. But it was relatively painless. I mean, it was just as difficult as signing up for a regular uh, Amazon account, so no big deal. And we got a couple of things. One of those things is the book Goodnight Moon, classic. Oh, nice. Can't That's do it that one. And uh, the other thing is sort of a, I don't even know what to call it, but it's kind of a hybrid, like baby bed, changing station, playpen. Sort oh, I've of been thing. looking at those. It's the sort of thing with a platform in the middle uh, that you know you would use as a baby's bed, and then as the yeah. kid gets into toddlerhood or a bit older you can drop that platform down to the bottom and it's actually sort of a full playpen. So uh, we got one. We set it up yesterday. It seems to be working out. So I guess I recommend it. I haven't actually used it yet, but we've got it set up in the living room. seems to be fine. So we're planning on getting one of those as well and putting it downstairs as like a nap slash changing slash play area and then having a separate one upstairs that's more like a traditional crib, but that's also like bassinet combo. Are you guys doing mm-hmm. that style as well? Yeah, we picked up a crib uh, from Facebook Marketplace through a friend of ours. And um, so we've got a crib upstairs in the baby room. And then we sort of got this. I, I, was, I wanted a playpen 
And um, that was one of my goals from the beginning of the registry because I don't see playpens often in Japan. No, I don't either. They seem like so useful to me, especially when like half of the doors in this country are made out of paper. And then like <laughs> you you don't want like a one-year-old just toddling into every shoji door that you have and busting them all out, which is right. inevitable, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Playpen seems to like cut down the anxiety. And uh, I was raised in a playpen. <laughs> I was happy with it. Kind of enjoyed yeah, it. Your own little too. world in there. Probably one of those old metal rusty ones. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I remember the like ratcheting like metal arms of my old playpen that were just like ready to pinch anything you get near them. But yeah, um, yeah it's uh, yeah, it seems to be like a good way to go. And we got one and we set it up in the living room and we're kind of imagining, you know, upstairs if the kid's sleeping through the night, that's fine. But then there'll be a lot of feedings and a lot of uh, old oh, babies crying and then maybe have a downstairs zone as well with a bit of a bed that this mm-hmm. hybrid playpen baby bed can, can manage. So we've kind of got two sleeping zones. Nice. Yeah. Kind of what we're thinking too. I like, I like the idea of those because they're kind of portable too. So if you're going over to people's houses, you collapse that thing, bring it over. And I never see people do it in Japan, but I'm planning to do it. Yeah, me too. This one is theoretically easy to collapse. You can, there's like a a nylon handle in the center of the bottom of it and you pull Mm. up on that and then the whole thing folds in on itself and it's got a bag and it's kind of like, um, a really bulky, big, heavy version of like a camping chair, you know, that you collapse down and then slide into a, a sleeve kind of a nice. bag. And um, yeah, that should be great. I would love to take this thing around. It seems like it solves a lot of trouble of, uh, I mean, just shoji are always on my mind, the paper <laughs> doors and windows and stuff. Looking behind you my... right now, all I see is shoji. <laughs> yeah, this, this <laughs> house. house is just paper. <laughs> yeah, it's mostly shoji, and that's actually a problem here. It's not even safe to live in this house because it's half made out of paper, <laughs> legitimately. We've had construction companies come over to this house to talk about remodeling, and they said, like, well, you've got to put in some walls, yeah. first of all, because <laughs> it's held up by paper as of now. Um, so, yeah, it's it's all over, and it's a constant concern. But, um, yeah, it works for the Japanese, so they've gone without playpens largely for all this time. So there must yeah. be a method that I just yeah. don't know. There's also a pretty big market here for those like sort of plastic um, walls, basically, that, you know, are maybe a foot and a half or two feet high. Right. And you buy like 12 of those and then you can set them up in any configuration and it's kind of makes like a pen or something. Uh, I've seen those here and there. I'm always a little worried about those because they they just don't seem stable. And all the kids I've had experience with, like my nieces and nephews, they're very grabby and trying mm-hmm. to pull themselves up on whatever they can. And it just yeah. seems like those are going to come down super fast. Yeah. And those plastic pins, I mean, it's just this hollow plastic. And if a kid leans on one of them, I imagine the whole pin slides over in that direction. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I can't imagine that they're that, they're that good. So playpen yeah. seems a bit more like a solid prison to drop the little <laughs> kid in. And there's no hope of escape. That's what I want. That's right. Pure safety. Yeah. Yeah, pure safety, baby, for his own good. Um, so that's our Amazon roundup. I should say one other thing uh, about Amazon. With the book that we received, there was a lovely little note in there that said, like, oh, congratulations, we love you guys. And it was signed, you know, printed off, of course, but it was, I knew who sent the book. This playpen is a total mystery. Wow. There was nothing whatsoever included with the playpen that lets me know who gave me the playpen. Huh. Uh, so 
I need to poke around the um, the website a bit more and see if I can figure out uh, who actually sent this. Uh, as of now, it's a mystery. And then there's kind of the awkward question of asking a lot of people, did you send me this? Did you send me this? So I don't know how to go about that if I have to do it. Yeah, I mean, I guess I never thought about people buying stuff off the registry secretly. Yeah. I mean, if I were buying something off a registry, I wouldn't want it to be a secret, I guess. Yeah, you just... Uh, there's always the issue of a thank you card. You're going to send a thank you card for sure. So the yeah. recipient kind of just has to know. Yeah. Maybe they just didn't know and forgot and skipped that part. So it could yeah, just be maybe. like user error a little bit. Yeah. Or maybe it's not obvious or something. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, no idea. It could be as well, like where this was sent from, maybe whatever sender, I don't know, did or oh. did not include the note, or maybe it's not a possibility or something. I'm not sure. Yeah, it's possible. Anyhow, yeah. So Amazon works. Uh, I am back to giving it my stamp of approval. I was a little <laughs> nice. sketchy there in the middle, but um, now I'm fine again. Nice. How about our main topic for today? And that is a little homage to Click and Clack, the Tappert Brothers. Uh, this is car talk. We're going to do some uh, baby-approved car talk here. Um my, I know you and your wife are set on cars. Yes. You have a, you very recently purchased a truck, and I did. Your wife has sort of an SUV-ish sort of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it's like a small SUV. Yeah, and uh, so I'm sure you've envisioned like bringing the baby seat into that, uh, getting the baby in and out of both of those vehicles, and that all seems like a okay to you. Yeah, um, the truck is a little bit higher, so I think if we go anywhere and I'm using that, then it'll primarily be me taking the kid in and out. Mm -hmm. But I think for at least the first year, at least while we're using like car seats and taking it in and out of the car, we'll be using her car mostly just because it's better on gas too. <laughs> uh, yeah, that makes sense. We are in the position right now of having two K cars. You have two full-size cars and they're large, large-ish full-sized cars. For Japan, yeah, they're large. And uh, that's great for space and, you know, for all the future, again, like the moving of the playpen and stuff like that. Just throw it in the back. It's easy. Yeah. Uh, or as you get into the, you know, if you go five, six years in the future, if the kid's on a little sports team or something and you've got to, you know, take other kids or, you know, loads of gear, your cars will be set. Um, we are in a 2K car household right now. We've got a right. Le, Le Pen, which is, you know, four-seater K car, like a car style. And I've got your old K-truck, which you is do. a two-seater and um, probably not good for taking a child of any age anywhere. <laughs> I mean, maybe when the kid is like four or five years old, you can pop them in. But uh, with a booster, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it feels a little sketchy. The K-truck I always think is strange. Like where your feet are in the K-truck is essentially like your feet are just inside the front bumper and you're yeah. you know, just inches away from whatever you might collide with. <laughs> it's kind of, it always sketches me out. Yeah, it's basically one step away from the Flintstones car. Yeah, you could, it's very You close. could run pedal this thing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, furthermore, the engine is right under the seats. The two seats yeah. are sitting on top of the engine in this tiny, tiny vehicle. 
And so, yeah, the engine is right under where you're sitting. If you remove that engine, you can <clears> pop your feet through and you could run along the ground and, and move it along. They're light enough. You could probably get away with it. Yeah. When I have to move, when I have to repark the K truck, I don't even turn it on. I just put it in neutral and move it around the parking area. <laughs> it's so tiny. You can just walk it here and there. It's like a little go-kart. Uh, but nice. um, anyway, uh, so those are the two cars we thought we need to upgrade one of the cars uh, for various purposes when we have the kid and uh, we've been on the car hunt since then. So we've been kind of prioritizing and uh, thinking about these things, but um You've also looked into some car safety, eh? Uh, I have. Yeah, I've been looking into a lot of different car seat options. Yeah, good. So what is your official report on the car seat? Well, it's a it's a bit frustrating in Japan. So in my research, I've discovered only 70% of people use car seats with their kids in the car, which I think is incredibly low. I, I don't know what the US is at, but I'm sure it's closer into the 90s. And I think that's only in the past couple of years that, that that number has gotten even so high in Japan towards 70. I think it's probably been less than 50 even a couple years ago because they didn't have a strict law. I think it was until 99 when they put a child seat law into effect in Japan saying that kids had to be strapped into something. And mm-hmm. so most parents throughout Japan, you'll see them on the roads they just let their kids kind of wander around the car while they're driving. And mm. it's baffling, I think, for a lot of people who come here for the first time because you'll just see this kid like ping-ponging around the seats and the mom just driving up front. I don't know how she doesn't wreck the car every time. Yeah, I've uh, I've noticed that a bit. And then it is, it's strangely lax. It's like I always say uh, to understand Japan from the American perspective, you should picture like a Leave it to Beaver episode. And then imagine kind of what was the mentality around car seats and car safety with a child back in the U.S. in the 50s or something like, yeah, just lay them in the floorboard. They'll be fine. You know, that sort of a an idea. Yeah, it's basically the same. So somehow that exists to this day. But uh, it has gotten better, as you say, uh, that law coming into effect in 99. I think the attitude has shifted. I remember hearing a lot more people talk about it when I first came here in 2006. And I think it has like that 70% number, that's definitely, you know, the result of uh, it's climbed, I mean, to say yeah. uh, to up to 70%. So it's gotten a lot better. Yeah, I think just in general, like uh, seatbelt safety in cars in Japan is, is really laxed. I think it was even more recently that they passed a law that said people in the backseat have to wear a seatbelt. Maybe even 10 years ago, there was no law that said they had to. And so you get into cars with people and you're putting your seatbelt on in the back seat and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, I'm trying to be safe. And they're like, oh, no, you don't have to. I'm like, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shocker for sure. I guess every <clears throat> society kind of, you know, gets used to it at their own pace. Uh, there is a thing, a famous story in the U.S. that when seatbelts first became mandated, you know, like you, if you buy a sufficiently old car, there's no seatbelt sometimes, especially in the back. And then they began to mandate seatbelts everywhere. And people used to cut seatbelts out because they were like, I can't believe they're junking up my car with this nonsense safety measure. And it's in the way. And then they would just slice out the seatbelts from their cars. So there's definitely like a uh, kind of a populist revolt in the United States against seatbelts when they were first, you know, a big thing. Is that like a 
a Kentucky thing? Um, I've heard that uh, outside of the Kentucky context. And I mean, this is okay. going back into like the 50s and 60s uh, oh, okay. when this was sort of happening. But uh, I would say it doesn't happen anymore. But like it, in the transitional period, you know, people always have a reaction that's like against their own self-interest, but they don't understand that. But uh, I think Japan is catching up and getting a lot better on it, though you still see it. And it's markedly different than in the U.S. where seatbelts are kind of the norm, car seats are kind of the norm, and they're obsessed about even. Uh, a couple other things that I've noticed here that struck me as a little off and then unsafe. Uh, a lot of times you'll see people put the car seats in the front seat facing forward. I think, uh, actually, I have the numbers here. In the U.S., mm -hmm. there are 23 states now that have laws requiring car seats to be in the back and facing the rear. And mm -hmm. then the rest of the states all have some kind of law that state that you have to have kids in the car seat in, in the back at least. But mm -hmm. in Japan, there's no such law kind of, you know, distinguishing where and how they should be put in. It's just kind of right now, I think it just says kids under six have to be in some kind of child safety device. And so you'll see a lot of these front facing seats in the front seat. And it seems like a lot of people just don't know about the dangers of that. So when you're buying yeah. a, a car seat from anywhere, there's not much information to go by. Interesting. Yeah, we haven't gone into the car seat purchase yet, really. So we haven't dived into it much. I'm, I think I'm a little ahead because I've been trying to find something that's like a convertible like car seat into a stroller situation. Mm -hmm. uh, I've, I've seen a couple in the US and they seem really convenient, but it's kind of hard to find. We, we've only found one so far. Um, I'm not sure what we'll do, uh, but um, we'll have to look into it sooner or later. We got that yeah, sooner than us scheduled. Cool. Well, I was thinking uh, for on our end of things, we're looking more at buying a car. Um, and that's step one for us, you know, get the car yeah. settled on. And uh, my wife and I have walked around a few used car lots. We've, uh, you know, just to see the the broad like selection of all types of cars. We've done a little research online and then we kind of got our priorities narrowed down. So I'm going to introduce without further ado, my top five uh, baby friendly car features. And uh, I'm going to start from number five. I think I've ranked these in order. Nice. But number five priority is the size of the car in, in terms of something to consider. Right. And um, if you think, okay, family time, let's get a van. You know, that's what your mind might jump to. But van is not really one size fits all in Japan. There's the, uh, what I would call the much too large van. Like the Alphard is one of those, the Voxy, the Noah, the Odyssey. Yeah. Uh, these are like the full size sort of luxury vans, just massive, massive vehicles. Yeah. And for me, uh, this might not be as big of a problem for you living more in the countryside there in Toyama. But in Kanazawa, it's just a matter of getting through these narrow neighborhood streets uh, and you're going to encounter those constantly getting into parking lots where sometimes the only parking available is like, you know, in the back corner of the lot or, you know, maybe only K car spots are available or something. And uh, just the narrowness of the lanes and somehow sometimes the lanes will go from two lanes to one lane without any warning whatsoever. And you just always need to be very nimble. So I wouldn't want the anxiety attack of driving around the Alphard, like the full-sized, massive family van. So my wife and I, you know, if you had a couple of kids, three kids, yeah, then maybe size it up. But if you're talking about your first kid, then um, 
I wouldn't go so huge on the van personally. Now you you've talked before about needing like a certain amount of seats in the car. Have you picked like a firm number for how much space you actually need? Um, well, that's to come on the list, my friend. Oh, sorry, I'm getting there. <laughs> We're gonna get there. <laughs> well, let me uh, let me go to number four on my list, and that okay. is uh, okay. So you want to get the safety, or you want to get the uh, not the safety, but the size, right? And uh, then another thing that you've got to balance out with the size is the fuel efficiency. And so I would love to have a hybrid vehicle of some sort um, just to get that sweet, sweet fuel economy. That's what I want. Like the, you know, there are priorities just for practicality's sake about fitting in and, you know, doing the things you want to do. But then the practicalities on the other end are not paying so much for gas and just burning a bunch of gas all the time. So uh, yeah, hybrid. I would love to have a hybrid. So not the largest vehicle and hybrid would be good. And then that brings me to number three, uh, the aforementioned seating. What do you want for seating? And for me, this is when K-Car goes right out the window because a K-Car by law at maximum can seat four people. Right. You will never find a five-seater K-Car. They don't make it. There will never be five seat belts. It's just a four seater at max. And uh, this will be different for everyone. You might think like, oh, two parents, one kid, K car could still get the job done. And you do see families with K cars. But um, we've got uh, our in-laws like living in the same city. And that brings our total up to five. If we want to go to a restaurant or if we want to, you know, travel to the grandparents house or something, which is a couple hours out of town. It's either always take two cars or get something that can seat at least five. Then thinking a standard sort of full-sized car, two seats in the front, three seats in the back, one of those being a car seat, it's not going to be too comfortable to get like the two, you know, my wife's parents, my wife, me, and a car seat. So then I thought, okay, you got to... You got to bust it out. You got to go at least six and then you're back in van territory, but not the full size van, a little bit more of a reasonable van, reasonable hybrid van is what I'm talking about. (laughs) This is what I've landed on. So a key component of the reasonable mid-sized van is number two on my list, the sliding door. Almost essential in Japan. Yeah. Sliding door is so crucial. And you are not the owner of a sliding door in your fleet of vehicles right now. So are you worried about this? Yeah. (laughs) Would you prefer a sliding door? I would prefer it on, I think, Moe's car because that's the only car it Mm -hmm. would make sense on. Yeah, that's good. My my main fears are, you know, parking is often tight. And when you have a child, you are every year. I mean, by definition, you have to load and unload every single time you get in and out of the car because the child himself needs to be loaded and unloaded into the car and you need a little bit of elbow room because you got to you know stand there at the door deal with all the straps and all this and you don't want to be in a tight parking space with a regular door that you can only half open because it's too close to the next car so you get that sweet sliding door massive open door space you can stand there get the kid out and then you just basically touch the handle and it slides back itself uh we were also talking to a uh uh, someone who's selling cars uh, or buyer seller of cars. We're trying to get rid of our K car. And um, he said he has kids. And his main concern is when the kid gets old enough to open the door him or herself, then it's another worry because that kid's just going to slam the door into whatever's on the other side of it. Oh, so yeah. if you have the sliding door, that problem disappears and you can let the kid then open and close the door uh, by themselves. Or you could just uh, use that 
useful child lock and then yeah you just do it for them keep them pinned in the back <laughs> for sure that's another way to go but it was for me like one less worry of like oh yeah let the kid get in and out and then i yeah. don't have to you know worry about things so sliding door seems pretty essential and finally number one on the list which has to kind of be number one by default is the safety of the vehicle and um we talked about this a bit um i guess off the air but the k car it just there's no way a k car can be as safe in some sort of accident as a full-sized car i mean yeah depending on the type of accident you have unless it's head-on that k car is going to get destroyed yeah it's just the k car has all the requirements about the uh, I mean, specifically the one that I would worry about is the weight. The weight of the thing has to be really light. And so right. if you run into anything heavier than what you're in, you're in a at the disadvantage in that crash, you know, and you're going to take the brunt of the force. So just on weight alone, the K car can't be as safe. And they have good safety features, of course. And then we also, we both came across some research that said, you know, the severity of injuries is not uh, statistically significantly different between a, a K car crash and a full size car crash, but still, I mean, just um, uh, like the philosophy of the crumple zone, like you want to have something with a little bit of size to it if you're going to have a crash to absorb this kind of impact, and uh, it seems to bode better for you in terms of walking away from the accident or you know getting less severe whiplash and things of that nature. So I feel like K cars with the kid. Almost, I mean, to me, if you have the option, set the K car aside and go ahead and get the full-sized car. So to run down the list again, you want something not too big, but still probably, you know, van-sized. Uh, hybrid would be preferable, like probably six seats. Get the sliding door, something big enough to be safe. And that has led me to my number one choice. It's the Honda Freed. Oh, nice. And this will be no surprise to anyone who's like looked for a car with kids in mind. The Honda Freed is all over the place. It's just a nice like minivan looking sort of, there's a hybrid version. They've got a six seater version with a nice aisle right down through the middle. Seats in the back fold up. Uh, so you've got a lot of storage. You could get five people in the family. You so know, it's not a bench a in trip. the back. Yeah, not a bench. They do make a Honda Freed that's a seven seater and it's actually a two, three, two arrangement. Oh, and, um, but uh, it makes it a little bit hard to get into the back when you've got that so three bench load in the, the middle. People in the rear seats from the trunk, basically. I think <laughs> I think you can fold the the bench forward, or sections of the bench can fold oh, okay. forward and slide, and they can weasel their way back in there. But once you enter the Honda Freed six seater and you see that aisle that goes all the way back, you're like, oh yeah, I can picture it. Yeah. I can see like grandma like climbing in the middle through the sliding door and then walking right back to the back seat or something. It's just very easy to imagine. Putting grandma in the back, huh? <laughs> Grandma's in the back, yeah. <laughs> I figure, um, I don't know. That's just, <laughs> you know, grandmas are small. They're compact. You got to be good to your grandma. Sneak their way back there. Not a lot of leg room, if I'm being honest. So you got to get somebody about 5'2 back there. Grandma slides right in at 5'2. And uh, yeah, the Freed is just, it's where it's at. I would recommend a newish hybrid freed. Just spend the money, go for it, and all your worries are taken care of. Traveling out of town, pile in the freed. And it's also it, the, another option. Well, I was going to say close second, but it's a distant second as far as I'm concerned, is the um, uh, the Sienta. I was actually thinking you might look into that one as well. Oh, I'm yeah? Su I'm surprised you don't like that one. The Sienta, for me, it's about... 
at that point it's just about the design of the thing and the way it looks from the outside the um this is the toyota sienta uh it's a little bit more like they with the exterior design they went a little bit more like curvaceous and bulbousy or something and honda freed is just very sleek and the straight lines around everything and we went, we looked at a Sienta, we got inside and it was like two toned interior color, but then you can see the exterior color. And then there's this orange line of like something that goes around the inside. And you're looking at like six different colors inside the car. and It kind of annoyed me. Yeah. I've been inside one once and it's not the most comfortable car I've been in. It's definitely not even in the top five in Japan. Yeah. I felt like I was <clears throat> kind of like sitting too high in a car mm-hmm. that's kind of a little squat. Yeah, feeling top heavy. Yeah. Yeah. To me, just the interior, it was like they were doing too much. And then the exterior, also, they were trying to make a statement with their big curvy lines and stuff. And it just, it rubbed me the wrong way. Just not a fan. But those are all aesthetic and ultimately superficial. So if you found a nice deal on a Sienta, by all means, go for it if you're happy with it. But the Honda Freed is just so refined. It's like you and your baby could smoke cigars and read leather bound books in there. It's just like, so it's, your it's baby's very nice so looking. cultured already. <laughs> baby's cultured <laughs> enough to smoke a cigar. Uh, day one. That's my goal. So uh, that's the car roundup. Um, Honda Freed is the way to go. We did test drive a different car and this was also in the running um, and only because we were going to get a crazy good deal on it, but we found a Prius for sale that was sort of outside the realm of the dealerships it was just on facebook again the old facebook marketplace i'm always weary about buying a car from somebody that's not a dealer as much as i distrust and dislike car dealers more distrustful of people just selling a car individually for some reason (laughs) yeah i was raised on buying cars from people randomly through the classified (laughs) ads like that's the only way i ever got cars was just searching through but uh Yeah, so this Prius came up, and the thing about a dealership, even a used car lot, there's obviously markup, and whatever they advertise the car at, they're like, yeah, that's the base price, but then we need to, you know, service it a bit more and do X, Y, and Z, and it's actually going to cost two or $3,000 more than we told you in the first place. So the only way to get a true deal is to buy it individual to individual. You're going to overpay other than that. Uh, So we thought uh, there's a Prius up for grabs, and uh, it had a new battery recently installed like a new hybrid battery so it was going to get excellent mileage and uh we thought oh and that's kind of the big thing about a prius like the battery is the thing that gets shot so once that goes you're like oh crap yeah yeah you're basically driving like a heavy corolla at that point (laughs) but and the battery is expensive to replace as well so we found an old one with a newish battery and we thought oh this is our chance and we don't have to pay some middleman an exorbitant fee so we agreed to meet up and then test drive this prius and it doesn't have the sliding door and but you know it has like much better mileage so it's kind of uh, it kind of balances out it'll be fine so we went to test drive it uh we went to a college campus the person who was selling it Uh, was a student at a college, like a graduate student at a college. So about our age. But um, we went to the college campus and we got in the car, checking things out. And then it was in a parking lot, like picture a college campus, like massive buildings all around, dormitories and stuff. And, you know, multi-story buildings and big parking lots. And it's all very like, feels like you're downtown somewhere. And we went out of the parking lot. This is no joke. We sort of turned left out of the parking lot. And within 10 seconds, we felt like we were in the wilderness 
of like Noto Peninsula or something. There was just <laughs> randomly, we went down this road that went directly into the forest because we're not familiar with the area. Whoops. <laughs> and, and the road went down from like a good, decent sized road like you would expect. And it went quickly into like single lane, treacherous mountain path. And I'm talking about night today in 10 seconds. We were down this road and then we was felt this, like we... Was this just you guys or with the owner of the car as well? It was just the two of us. We were trusted oh, to uh, wow. to drive by ourselves, which is nice. Uh, so we were on this little path and we're like, what is with this road? This is insane. And uh, we felt like we were, you know, hours away from civilization all of a sudden. And we were like, well, I mean, it's fine. It's still a fine road we'll just drive down it and see what's up so then 30 seconds into the drive now um this is like an action-packed drive things are happening like every few (laughs) seconds 30 seconds into the drive mind you we're in the wilderness now and what comes charging out of the side of the forest like onto the road but a wild boar so i've literally at this stage of my life i've driven a prius for about 30 seconds i have that much experience under my belt and suddenly i'm on a treacherous path and a wild boar bursts out into the road and i know that i'm gonna hit this wild boar it's a certainty (laughs) and so meanwhile it's like person to person so i have no idea what the insurance relationship is right i have no idea like like if I demolish this car or go over a bore, I mean, that wrecks everything. Yeah. And uh, then do I have to buy this car? Like all these thoughts are rushing through my mind in the one second I have to prepare for hitting this <laughs> bore. And uh, so then I hit the brakes. I'm not a I'm not a slam on the brakes person because I feel like slamming on the brakes causes you to lose control a little bit. I'm more of like a slow it down, balance it out, hit the bore at a low speed, you know, <laughs> like without losing control. And so I managed to slow down as best I could. We probably got down to like 10 to 15 miles an hour by the time we smashed into this wild boar. And I would say that uh, it it worked out well because we really like it was more of an aggressive nudge of the boar back into the forest. Is nice. what happened. Like a bounce off the car and <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. We didn't really go over the bore like it wasn't tires, like, you know. Well, uh, they have a pretty them. low front end, so if anything, I think you'd pick up the bore and it would yeah, land on your hood. <laughs> yeah, it's a real fifty fifty uh scenario. <laughs> if the bore takes a dive, it would probably just like it would probably get pinned between the bumper and the ground and and drag. Yeah, so we the boar like sort of we lost sight of it because it was like night as well it was nighttime the boar uh we i saw the contact and then we kept going straight and i was like i hope there's not extensive damage to this front end i feel like we were going slow enough but a boar is a sturdy animal it could have done some real damage so we turned around and came back and then uh, there was no dead boar on the side of the road and no boar at all so he sort of ran back off into the forest and never coming back to that road again (laughs) yeah exactly it's terrifying uh and then we got back onto the main road went to a convenience store like in civilization now and looked at the front of the car and there was no damage whatsoever on the car there was just some like i would say boar grease Ew. i don't know if that's the right word <laughs> there were some there were some boar leavings on the car for sure like a bit of like dust and like i don't know muck or something uh, yeah. so i just uh, you know you wipe that off with your sleeve <laughs> and then like polish it up again 
And then you're in the morally ambiguous position. Uh, the question is, do you report back to the owner of the car that you've had somewhat of an accident or oh, is that creating problems where problems don't exist? Wow. So that is my my question for you is we're jumping into that segment early. Okay. My question for you is when you've there's no damage whatsoever. Do you even broach the subject with the car's owner? Uh, Yeah, I think I would. Oh, really? I've had a few run ins with accidents with cars and stuff. So at this point, I'm overly cautious and truthful with car stuff. Let me complicate the issue slightly. Okay. And that is that I've never met the owner of this car. And that is because the owner of the car got a job outside of town and he moved there. And so he left his car here and his friends are the ones who are showing the car and uh, like handling the keys and the documents and stuff. So anything that you report to the friend, that friend then has to call the owner and it turns into like a game of telephone and you're describing things like at one person removed. 100% I would not say anything then. Would not bring it up. Okay. That's good. Mostly because, and maybe this is again distrusting on my part, but I wouldn't trust that the friend wouldn't then blame other damage on me. Yeah, yeah. And that would be my only cautious worry about that. Yeah, it turns into a real, like, he said, he said, he said kind of a chain. And then you, like, the guy who owns the car is like, whoa, 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 I want to know what happened. Like, show me this car. And he's expecting the worst. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so I, um, yeah, I took it upon myself to uh, assess the car. realized that nothing bad had happened, that there was more or less a, a healthy nudge that had happened that caused not even a dent, but just uh, a, some, I mean, it's wipe offable like uh, damage. So that was right. fine. Uh, and damage is a strong word. Yeah. I mean, for legal purposes. Evidence. I shouldn't. Yeah. Evidence. Evidence is much better. <laughs> evidence still puts me in a legal mindset. Oh, circumstantial evidence on the car. Uh, but I didn't bring it up. Um, and wow. we'll just pray that no one ever listens to this podcast who knows both parties and puts everything together. How, the car's totally fine. How does Ayumi feel about this? Um, she was in the car with you, right? Yeah, we were on the same page. Once we saw the car and that everything was fine, and, you know, an animal's soft. It's like if you hit a brick wall, <laughs> there's going to be a scratch. But animals <laughs> are soft. That's where we get teddy bears. You know, they're based on animals. So you sort of, and I bet that I was thinking about the board the next morning. Like he probably woke up with like a sore shoulder. Like it's not a horrible thing that happened. You know, he was fine. Right. Uh, uh, Yeah. I think we were on the same page of like, oh yeah, car's absolutely fine. We didn't go over anything. It was just a bit of like a nudge that happened. And um, I think, I think that's the most important thing that whatever you decided to do that you were both on the same page with it. So that yeah. one person wasn't like, oh, man, we sh- I really wish we would have done this. Yeah. And created yeah, that yeah. like anxiety. Yeah. And it turns into like an Edgar Allan Poe story of one person reveals the truth. One person hides the truth. Somebody has to murder somebody and bury them under the floorboards. And it's Obviously. that kind of scenario. Yeah. Yes. You want to avoid that at all costs. Yeah. But um, anyway. Yeah. So that was the tale of the test drive. And at the end of the day, um, we have more or less decided against the Prius for a number of reasons. And uh, one is that it was a bit old and then it had a bit of like damage all around. Not bore damage, mind you. <laughs> just not life, related to yeah, yeah, damage. Just, <laughs> yeah. Seven, it was about 17 years old. So like the, you know, 
accumulation of this and that and it, it looked a bit rough and then we thought ah we can we can do better i think what was the mileage on that one do you remember Ooh, it, massive massive it was like a uh in kilometers it was a quarter mil over Damn. a quarter mil yeah so yeah so it over was, it was like 150 there. maybe is that right yeah something like that and um but luckily though newish hybrid battery mm. so that was going to go for years and years more uh, being very reliable, but still, I mean, a quarter of a million kilometers, my goodness. Yeah, I'd just be worried about all the other stuff, like your drivetrain, your brakes, your the engine yeah. that's actually in there as well. Yeah, transmission still, so there's a lot a lot that could go wrong. Yeah, well, good call on the Freed. Yeah, we are, we've got our sights set on a Freed now, I think. Do you have the one that you actually want picked out yet, or is it just the type that you're selecting there's one out there that i like but it is twenty thousand us dollars i mean in, in japanese yen it's two million yen which right. uh, is quite a lot to pay for a car how so old is that still one? searching around that's a 2017 okay not too bad yeah it's a beautiful car it's like perfect inside the trouble with a hybrid battery is um Depending on who you ask, some people would say you need to replace it as soon as five years in. Uh, some people call that window five to seven years. And then you'll hear about people who let a hybrid battery go about 10 years. And at 10 years, it, it's considered to be fully shot, I think. So at 10 yeah. years, you're getting no value out of it. And then the replacement on a hybrid battery, depending on how you go about it, uh, is anything from like $2,000, $3,000. It's in, in that range to get that done. I want to see a comparison versus the gas that you would spend over the time versus yeah. the cost of a replacement battery. Yeah. Just financially, if it's worth it to go hybrid or not. I mean, obviously, yeah. environmentally, it's worth it. Yeah. But are you actually spending less in the long run? Yeah. For me, I care less about the money. You know me. Money's no object. Obviously. Independently. Yeah. Independently house. wealthy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so I would fall on the side of the um, environmentally friendlier option if given the choice. Uh, gotcha. So, yeah, I am interested in the difference, like how much am I paying or saving, like, you know, just to make this car move around town for several years. Yeah, uh, it, it would be of interest to me, but ultimately I would pay for the environmental benefits. All right. So that's it for our car talk saga. Tom and Ray. Uh, Tom, rest in peace. Ray. Keep fighting the good fight. Car Talk. Everybody go listen to it. Great show. Let's move on. To Japanese of the day, kind of. Yes. Uh, the Japanese of the day is uh, not a word this time, but it is the Japanese language proficiency test, which is coming up for us soon. Yep. Uh, as of this recording, it's going to be tomorrow, but uh, we put these out uh, like a week after. So if anyone has taken the JLPT, you might be thinking, well, that was a week ago. Yes, indeed. We're talking about the same JLPT, the December 2021 JLPT. Yep. And uh, we're both taking it tomorrow. Yes, but different levels. Yeah. And uh, in different prefectures as well. So different test sites and the whole deal. Right. Um, but uh, yeah, the JLPT, it's... Uh, as I was saying, it stands for Japanese Language Proficiency Test. There are five levels of it. Five is the lowest level, four, three, two, one. One is like very difficult. Um, it's still a bit below perfect fluency, but it's as hard as the JLPT gets. These levels are also referred to with the letter N. So you'll hear people talk about N5, N4, N3, N2, N1. And the N doesn't actually mean anything no. concrete. 
they revamped the JLPT, I want to say about 10 years ago. And at that time, because they, it used to only be four levels. It used right. to be four, three, two, one. And then they added a level, which was technically, I think the level three is what was added. So kind of the three. Oh, and the, they just squished one between. Yeah. And they, they revamped everything, but know. fundamentally the thing that was added was the one in the middle. So then to compare the old version and the new version, some people say the N stands for new. So like the new five, the new four, the new three or whatever. But uh, yeah, it's um, I'm, I'm gearing up for the three tomorrow. Yeah. Right I'm, down the middle. I'm getting ready for the N5 going yeah. baby steps. Yeah. I <laughs> like to knock them off one by one. I took the five and passed it, took the four and passed it, took the three and failed it. And so now I'm taking the three again, but I like to knock them all out one by one year after year. That's good. Yeah. What's your, um, what's your study plan looking like, or what did it look like leading up to the five? Once, uh, twice a week. Um, I meet with uh, a tutor in town here. Yep. Good. And you've got a textbook <laughs> that you work through? <laughs> no. Uh, so I signed up for this thing. <clears throat> when you go into the the JLPT registration, you have to do it, I think it's like five months in advance before the actual mm-hmm. test date. So at that time, it was summer, August, I think. And I was really optimistic about my studying potential Mm -hmm. however since registering i haven't done anything really (laughs) yeah that's how it plays out yeah i wish it was i wish you could register closer to the actual test date because then i would be Mm -hmm. more realistic about like okay i haven't really studied i'm definitely going to bomb this thing I don't want to waste my 6,000 yen, which is where I'm at now. Yeah. And that's good info that you've dropped there. It is about 6,000. It used to be five, but the price keeps going up. Oh, great. Yeah. So you've got that to look forward to. (laughs) The more you fail, the more you will have to pay because the prices will continue to rise. I've heard uh, it summed up like the N5. um, One of my friends said you could probably just study intently for a couple of weeks. You could go from almost no Japanese study very intently for a few weeks and then you could probably pass the n5 yeah. and that was my experience with the n5 it's not too big of an ask and um honestly the thing about the n5 that confused me the most is that they you know a certain number of kanji characters are included as like these are kanji characters appropriate for use on the n5 and then right. slightly more difficult for the n4 and so on and so on right and so you'll have a kanji character that you see frequently and that you're familiar with, but then is not uh, technically suitable for the N5. So they'll replace that kanji character with the hiragana characters on the N5. And then for you to suddenly see this more or less common kanji written in hiragana, you're like, wait, what is this word? And you're trying to suss out like what this thing is. But if they just would have shown you the kanji, you would have known what it was immediately. Okay. That's something like, good to uh, look forward to. Yeah. The one that threw me was um, the kanji in the middle of a day. Like, you know, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, like Nichiobi. Uh, the the yo is kind of a complex looking kanji. Yeah. But you see it frequently because it's in the days of the week. So you see it all the time. Right. But on the uh, on the N5, they won't give you that kanji. And so I was seeing that like the days of the week written out in hiragana, which is never how you see them. No. And I was trying to figure out like, what is this in reference to? And it hung me up for, you know, five or 10 seconds of like, what is this word even? And I was trying to parse it out and I realized, oh, it's it means Monday. 
got it, and then you move on. So the N5 sometimes even shoots like below where you are, and then that's troublesome too. So I've I've got confidence in you passing the N5. You know, I, cumulative, it's been about six years of studying off and on Japanese. So I feel like cobbling all of that together, I can get mm-hmm. through this. Yeah. And I feel pretty confident with my kanji in general. So I'm not too worried about that part. It's actually all the grammar stuff that I'm more worried about that I have mm. most of my issues with. I feel the same way. Are you using an app, by the way, to study the kanji characters? <clears throat> no, I was using the, uh, what is that, Anki? I was using that like a flashcard, but I haven't in the past maybe year. Okay. Uh, bold move. Yeah. No app, but going in head first. Yeah. I'm on Memrise. I think a lot of people use Memrise. I mean, Anki is very popular. Memrise, I think, is a bit more like cartoonishly gamified or something. But, yeah, I um, use Duolingo sometimes, which is like that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me on Memrise or become my Memrise friend, my username, I believe, is all one word, Justin, then some numbers. <laughs> Justin, then some numbers. No spaces, no underscores. Uh, please search for me and add me on Memrise. We can be buddies. Nice. Is that and also your my, password? Justin, then some yeah, numbers. Some numbers, yeah. <laughs> uh, I might have been, yeah, uh, reminding myself of my password and my username. I don't know. I make no guarantees. But um, yeah, please follow me on Memrise, and then I will put you to shame with my sheer volume of points. That's ultimately what I want to do. I want to shame everyone with how many Memrise points I have. Right, so it's the amount master. of time you spent in the app that you earn more points in it, right? Yeah. Well, the amount of like sort of correct answers you get when you're, you know, flipping through your flashcards and choosing this means that and, you know, clicking the right things, spelling things correctly. Gotcha. You get a certain amount of points for all of those. And um, not that this will mean anything to anyone who doesn't use Memrise, but I can't resist the opportunity to toot my own horn. I have 22 and a half million Memrise points. It sounds like a lot, my friends. I have it no sounds idea. like a lot, yeah. Yeah, it's because it is a lot. It's a lot of memorized <laughs> points. <laughs> How many years of use is that? Oh, yeah. It's three years of daily use. Daily? and Yeah, three years daily, and then before, I used it intermittently. <clears throat> so you know, all probably. this does is make me feel more depressed about learning Japanese. <laughs> yeah, because I'm embarking on the N3 <laughs> after yeah years and years and millions of points yeah um but here's a little bit of encouragement to everyone i'm really bad at this i've always been bad at foreign language and um when i uh i messaged my friend who also uses the memorize app he has about five mil you know he tries but five mil uh so he's got like five million (laughs) which is a really respectable point total and I messaged him when I passed 20 million and I was like, hey, man, it just, you know, just the 20 million points for me. Thanks. And uh, his response to me was so deflating. And that was, oh, wow, 20 million. So you're going to sign up for the N1? <laughs> and I was like, well, you know, I failed the N3 on about 20 mil. So maybe the N1 is in my distant future. I don't know. Right. So. If you have that many points, you should be better, but it's just that I'm uniquely bad at this sort of thing. I think and, I'm there uh, with it, you. Yeah, it's it's holding me down, man. Uh, so, yeah, it's my brain. It's me being stupid. That's what holds me back. <laughs> but, um, yeah, oh, it's hard. It's very, very hard. Uh, what you can do, though, and this is a little memorized tip to everyone, um, don't only get vocabulary sets 
on Memrise, but also get grammar sets on Memrise where it's like they'll give you a verb conjugated in such a way and then you have to choose, you know, which like, uh, you know, Japanese phrase means this verb. Like uh, they'll give you instead of just a vocab word like dog or cat, they'll give you a phrase that says like, uh, I needed to study ahead of time like this sort of complex oh. grammatical phrase. And then you have to choose exactly how that should be arranged in Japanese. And the grammar sets are quite valuable because as you were saying, the grammar is like the hardest thing to pin down, I think. Yeah, it really is. And the whole, like sometimes like the grammar is like completely different when you're saying mm-hmm. two similar things, but not quite the same. So it always throws me off in daily conversation. I'm saying something, yeah. people are like, I don't know what you mean. And I'm totally yeah. just like one thing off in the grammar yeah 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 it's a big problem for me still to this day is like an active verb versus a passive verb Mm -hmm. you know like um i made the food versus the food was made by me the way the verbs are done that way and then it changes what your subject is and what your object is so if you've used the wrong verb form and switched around your subject and object you can easily say like i was made by the food and then people are like what are you talking about i'm pretty sure that's how i say those things yeah exactly it's it feels like a very minor error but then it creates this chaotic sentence so get your get your grammar sets everybody follow me on memorize i think that does it for us yeah yeah i think that about wraps it up we've got a mini segment that we would like to introduce now and that is uh mark and i fumble around and try to think of a good outro line for ourselves we've always wanted an outro line yeah, before I was thinking, be good to your grandpa. <laughs> but now it that, uh, we talked about the car stuff and you mentioned the grandma, I'm going to amend that and say, be good to your grandma. Okay, be good. It's broad, positive, clear advice. It's yeah. actionable. And uh, I think people can use it in their daily lives. Yeah. I was going to, I was initially thinking something with the word baby in it. And then I thought of, uh, the old Virginia Slims motto, which is, <laughs> you've come a long way, baby. But I thought, I don't know how many people are up on their like 1970s Virginia Slims advertising campaigns these days. You know, kids these days, they don't follow their old tobacco mottos. <laughs> um, so I'm going to have to amend that. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work it out here on the spot. This is live improvisation of an outro catchphrase. Okay, okay. I'm going to say... Baby, you gotta uh, be, baby, be good to your grandma. (laughs) That's going to be mine from now on. My flag is in it. I've staked the claim and I think we're good to go. Baby, be good to your grandma. Yeah, I uh, can't see any problems with it, so I think. Um, okay. Yeah, I think that's. This will be a short-lived segment because we both nailed it. Yeah, we pretty much just finished it, so <laughs> no question. <laughs> well, thank you for listening today. We hope this episode was entertaining and informative. Uh, if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on Twitter or via email. You can find us on Twitter at jpops podcast or by email at info at the jpops.com so until next time baby be good to your grandma <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>